Welcome back to Studio Stories. I'm your host, Eve Lancorn, and today we're speaking to Emma Bunning, founder of On The Box PR, to chat about her becoming a mum at 40 and more. Hi, Emma. Thank you for joining me today. So how are you? I'm good. I'm really good. Um, although I must say, I'm breast pumping in the background. <laughs> <laughs> so... Shall I turn it off? Because I don't know if it's massively off-putting and whether you can hear it like meh, meh I in can't, the background. I don't think we can hear it. So if you need to <laughs> extract that milk, you, you go for it. <laughs> I mean, I, I have to tell you, I've turned into the ultimate multitask. I thought I was really good at spinning plates before, but since I've become a mum, I'm amazing at it. <laughs> so wow, I okay. can multitask till I don't know from noon till night because I'm always trying to do so many things so well that's like, that's well, great I'll, I'll do that because then they can't see my face so if there's only got to hear it then that's fine no I can't hear it so and do you know what it'll add a bit of realness to the podcast if you can anyway so that's <laughs> fine go for it so today was... we're going to be chatting all about sort of motherhood so that sort of set the tone quite well do you want to start by telling us a little bit about yourself who you are what you do everything like that yeah, so I'm. My name's Emma Bunning, and I am. What am I? I am a 41 year old mother of one, <laughs> business owner, and oh, how would what else would I describe myself? I, oh God, it's so funny how I used to be like, yes, I'm a 41 year old businesswoman. Now I'm like, no, I'm a mum, and it feels like that comes first, and my business comes second. <laughs> but I've always been proudly a working girl that sounds terrible not a hooker but, uh, <laughs> not uh, a working girl not but, a working girl <laughs> <laughs> but you know like I've been a career woman career whole, woman yes my whole life and that has been my thing and, and I'm fiercely proud of my achievements in work because it's been a slog um and that's been my sort of I don't know it's like your calling card isn't it this is what I'm this is who I am this is what I do and now I'm a mum and I think oh god no I'm a mum first actually because I realised when I had her that she is my absolute priority before anything. And so it's sort of, yeah, I'm a mum first and I'm a, a businesswoman second now. <laughs> yeah, and you so you've got your own talent agency called On The Box Talent as well. Yeah, I do. And I've had that for five years in September and I just think, God, that's gone quick. But this is... Uh, sort of third career for me actually wow yeah, and you're quite you're quite journey. new to the game so how old is Etta at the moment well she's five months old so she's six months old on the 21st she was she was a Christmas baby so she was actually due on Christmas day oh wow and I was like oh god I really would rather be eating a roast than giving birth on Christmas day <laughs> um so luckily well not luckily because actually it's not the greatest option but I was actually induced um, because of my age, which we can get on to. Um, but it meant that they weren't really going to ever let me go full term because of that. And so they said, well, we won't make you come in on Christmas Day. You can come in on Boxing Day and have her then. And I knew I was having a girl. But I said, okay, that, that, that works. I can get my Christmas dinner in. Then I'll have a baby before New Year's Eve. Brilliant. But then the week before I was going to do that, I had a lack of movement um, with the baby. And so I was taken into hospital and they said, yeah, we need to get this baby out. Come back in two days. We're going to induce you early. 
Oh, but did you still get your Christmas dinner? Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> good. That's because the main I did, thing. Oh, I did a night in hospital and then I was home the next day and my sister's boyfriend is a chef and like a Michelin trained chef. He's unreal. So Christmas dinner by him is always a hit. And so I was like, please, if I if I can't leave my house on Christmas Day, can can you just bring a plate to me to eat in between feeding and sleeping? But we actually dragged our sorry asses around to their house on Christmas Day because, you know, <laughs> Boris allowed us to do that. And I can't tell you how tired I was. I, I think I ate my dinner, sat there staring into space for about 30 minutes and went, I've, I've got to go home. I'm so tired. It's just... Oh, bless you. you know, nothing can prepare you for the onslaught of a newborn. <laughs> it's like full on, isn't it? Yeah. So we're going to be chatting a bit about your sort of journey to motherhood today because you've got quite a bit of a different story. So going back to lockdown and pre-lockdown you're now with your partner Kim you now live together how did you guys meet well so um we met on a dating app actually so my parents live in Devon and I came back to Devon for Mother's Day in 2019 um and it was actually my parents um was their actual wedding anniversary and I was at home sort of flicking through Bumble and I matched with Kim and we sort of had a couple of messages and thought nothing of it and then I was coming back to Devon for Easter and I thought well he's not gonna be my boyfriend I mean he lives in Devon I live in I was living in Oxfordshire at the time I'd left London to you know live in the country and I just thought no it'd just be that would be a bit of fun I'll go on a drink I'll go on a drink date with him that'll be that and I went on a date with him <laughs> on the Friday night I didn't see my parents all of Easter he met my brother and sister on the Monday, on Easter Monday. <laughs> I spent all weekend with him. And three months later, I moved to Devon to be with him. Like, we just, we knew date, date one that I knew that was that. It was the weirdest wow. experience of my whole life. And I mean, I was 40. I was just 39. And I was just turning 40. And I had convinced myself I was never going to find a boyfriend. I, I kind of sold my soul to my work and thought no I've not really given it a chance to find anyone and yeah I thought that would be that really so I was um you know hearing people say when you know you'll know when you know when you meet you just know and I thought no you don't and I'm never that's never going to happen to me so I I really didn't think I ever would and it was bizarre yeah I met him and it was just like wow and the next day I remember saying to my sister I you know I've met my my next boyfriend she was like yeah 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 whatever Wow, that is crazy that is such you should write that into bumble and be like here's a beautiful love story for you a bit of pr for we you. already did we oh, already really did. <laughs> like, i, I should have known I that shouldn't i <laughs> way well, ahead of I, me i think i tagged i think i tagged bumble on a thing i think all it was was i did a hashtag bumble and they actually contacted us and said would you um, you know like to tell us your story it was hilarious we told our story we had to do each of our own versions and then we got sent like a bag of merch from Bumble I mean who the fuck goes around wearing a Bumble uh, cap <laughs> do you know what I mean I was never gonna wear that Bumble cap <laughs> I actually went to a Bumble party two years ago in London and I had to enter on the app and <laughs> I didn't get a cap though I actually got um, a lip balm which I still use to this day really nice like yellow <laughs> lip balm and then in the toilets in this restaurant where the event was they had like glitter you know like the glitter hair slides with words on like out of diamantes they had loads that said honey and bumble on so I 
sorry Bumble if you're listening I literally tipped the whole thing to my bag and gave them out to all my friends the next day at work I was like oh guys God, I want one it was really cool so I've got one that says honey on I wear the one with honey I'm not gonna wear Bumble in my hair am I it's a bit it's a bit I mean weird, it's a but... little bit desperate it's a bit like saying yeah, guys I'm single <laughs> Sliding into like, my hair, yeah, Tinder my in my hair or something. But <laughs> yeah, that was that was a really fun party. But sorry, I'm just getting off track now. But that yeah, Brilliant. that's such a lovely, lovely love story. Oh, it was it was amazing. I still I still can't believe it happened because honestly, I was so convinced that when I was planning my 40th birthday, I thought I'm just going to spunk a load of cash on that because I don't have a boyfriend. You know, I'm never going to get married, so I don't need money for a wedding. So I'm just going to you know pay for a really lavish 40th which I did and I met him six weeks before I couldn't believe oh, so it he, he got to go to the 40th with you then yeah and I was and I had it in Oxford because I was living there and all my friends from London because I basically left my I got a flat in London I rented it out and moved to Oxford because that's where I was born and I thought it felt quite homely but it was near enough to London so I'd arranged my party for being in Oxford where all my school friends could come all my London friends could come family and friends were coming from Devon and he came and I felt quite sorry for him because everybody pounced on him to like oh. find out who the new boyfriend is and get all the information. And he is the polar opposite of me. He's like Mr. Quiet and calm and, you know, quiet observer, a bit, um, you know, he's an introvert. And I threw him into the lion's den at my birthday. Oh, no. <laughs> but, but he was amazing and everybody loved him and it was brilliant. It was brilliant. No, he was incredible. I feel, I do feel very lucky, um, especially at that age, to have met somebody that I was so certain about. Yeah, it never happened before. Yeah, and now you've gone on to have a, a baby with him. So tell me about that journey. Well, it's, it was an unorthodox one. <laughs> it was, I, I was moving to Devon and... But the day I moved here, I well, I had my suspicions I was pregnant because I thought well, I'm a bit late on my period and I don't know, I just I don't know if I'm just really overtired because I've been moving house and it's quite stressful, isn't it, the whole house move. But the day I got here I said, Oh, I've just got a feeling, I don't know, I don't know if I might be. Should we should we do a test? And he was like, Oh, well, let's just enjoy tonight because you've literally just moved here and here's a bottle of champagne, so let's just wait till tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a drink and uh, not got hammered but did have a glass of champagne and the next day I did a test and it was like oh god we are okay well that wasn't what we were planning quite so soon um but you know we got ahead around it we didn't tell anyone because it was you know early days and then six days later I started to miscarry and it was just oh, so gosh. awful because we you know we, we hadn't planned that that pregnancy so you know, it was a shock, but you get your head around it. And then when, as a woman, you know, when you're carrying that baby and you, you, you think, you know, you think quite far ahead quite quickly about what's going to happen in nine months' time and you start thinking about your life and how it's going to change and you get excited and used to it. And then it was taken away from me within a, within a week and it was awful. It was absolutely awful. And I actually, it surprised me how hard I took it. I, I really didn't cope well with that loss. And and also I for quite I think it was about three or four weeks, I was still showing as pregnant on tests and scans because they keep a real close eye on you at the at the pre-pregnancy, sorry, the early pregnancy unit. You go in every three days, they do blood tests to make sure your levels are going back to normal and mine was still showing pregnant and yeah, it was awful. So it felt like I was for a long time, but knowing I wasn't going to be, it was pretty brutal. So yeah, it was difficult. And 
I think that put a massive strain on our relationship at a time when we should have been having the honeymoon period still. So it was it was sad, really. It was a bit of a loss of that moment for us as well, as a couple. Yeah, I can mm. imagine. And then when did you find out you were pregnant again? Well, I mean, at the time, we after the lot we lost that baby we were like let's just hold off hold our horses because we've only just met let's have a couple of holidays and um, get to know each other a bit better and try again next year yeah um and so we sort of in our heads said let's try around february time next year and you know give it a little while but i tell you what i was like a crazy person because after i'd lost the baby i just was desperate to be pregnant again there was mm. just something in me that i thought like i've got something missing and i need to fill that void and it's that and it made me realize how much I wanted a family and and also I got myself scared that at my age I might not have that opportunity again because I was 40 and I you know I, I who knows if I could have got pregnant again or if I could even gone full term with a baby who knows so I've never been in that position so I started overthinking it and getting paranoid and say and by the September I said to Kim I really really just want to try again and so he said well let's just go for it now then so we tried but we didn't get pregnant and then after some investigations they realized that I've got an underactive thyroid which I knew I had but that my levels weren't right and so that was preventing me from actually conceiving so a specialist told me I had to stop trying altogether let them sort me out and give it three months of that new medication kicking in before we could try again and I think in the February they gave us the green light which is weird because that was when we said originally let's try in February and yeah. we and then we found out we were pregnant on April the 19th which was our one year anniversary of meeting <laughs> so, oh wow yeah it was like the stars weird. aligned for you I know it was weird it was and we were obviously you were in we were in lockdown at that point full yeah, blown we lockdown were. last year yeah, we were. And again, we because it was our anniversary, we spent that £100 on <laughs> like really expensive champagne to celebrate oh, no. our anniversary. And then we were going to go for a bike ride near where we live in Devon. There's loads of lovely country lanes around here. And we were like, let's take a picnic and go for a bike ride. And I thought, oh, it's late, actually. I'm going to just check <laughs> the same sort of thing again. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I was like really happy really happy but so nervous because um you know unfortunately when you've suffered a loss I think any any woman that's, that's been through the same when you do get pregnant again you have got the fear of, of leaving that baby again so it's bittersweet it's yeah. like a lot of anxiety I can imagine as well a lot especially that first three months because they say that you know first 12 weeks are the most important and every time I was you know going to the toilet and I was like, oh, please don't let me be bleeding. It was like, you know, I was terrified, mm, absolutely terrified. Mm. And I think I made, you know, my boyfriend's life a misery for the first first 12 weeks because I just couldn't relax. I just could not relax. But I was so I was so excited but so nervous. It was, yeah, it was a really hard one to enjoy fully because you just never know. And so, I know you mentioned before that you're a real career woman. So had you always wanted to be a mother, you know, when you're in your 20s and 30s? I don't know if I always wanted to be, but I arrogantly just presumed I would be. It was one of those that in growing up, I just in my head thought by the time I'm 30, I'll have met someone and I'll, I'll be married and I'll have a kid. It was just an, an absolute belief that, that would happen. And then I got to 30 and it, wasn't, it didn't happen. And then you're like 31, 32. And, and as I was getting older and older and older, 
and then having failed relationships left by and center just kept thinking it's never gonna happen especially when i got to like 37 sorry about my voice by the way i've got the worst cold, end of the worst cold and i lost my voice two days ago i think back, so everyone going back out no i think everyone going back <laughs> out i had it last week my sinuses eyes watering i think everyone's like been inside and now we're actually like mixing with people i've had a cold last week so yeah, don't worry I think about it's it. the same i think it's the same <laughs> but yeah i think the, the older i got i just started to um convince myself that i would that that wasn't going to happen because it hadn't happened yet and i think as well the older you get and the more relationships you have you maybe you don't always know what you want but you know what you won't put up with or what you don't want in a relationship yeah <laughs> and i just think you know you're you're narrowing everything down so much more that it becomes impossible in your in my head it became impossible to, to think i'd ever meet the person that i would be right for me and that I wanted to be with so yeah I just I guess I, I'd always hoped I would be a mum and I just presumed I would be and for a very long time which was um you know misplaced presumption yeah really. of course and <laughs> you went on to have Etta at the age of 40 and yeah. you are actually classed and I'm saying this in inverted commas a geriatric mum so being Correct. obviously um, an older an older mum than average did you sort of worry at any point um, yeah, I mean, of course, because there are there are a few things that I worried about. Um, well, first of all, would I lose this baby again because I'm just not able to carry babies, um, and maybe because I'd left it too late, which is bollocks. I don't believe that's true now, but that's just something that went through my head. Um, secondly, I had a scan at 12 weeks, which every woman does, and they test the nuchal fold for Down syndrome, and then they do a they have some kind of equation that they do don't really understand how it works and they look at your age your nuchal fold fluid in the back of the baby's neck I think it's called nuchal fold and they look at your blood test results and then they do a little sum and go this is your probability of having a Down syndrome child and I came back at one in 76 which is a very high probability so having got through you know the 12 weeks and keeping hold of my baby I then was faced with the potential that she might be Down syndrome um and there are only really two ways that you can go well there are three ways you can do nothing and carry on you can go and have an amniocentesis which is an injection that they put through your belly into the amniotic sac and they take a sample and that can give you a very definitive yes or no or you can have a blood test which is 500 pounds and it gives you a much more focused um, result of probability but it doesn't give you a definite and I wasn't prepared to risk a miscarriage, which is a risk if you have amniocentesis. So we paid for the blood test to decide, uh, to, to, to define whether or not there was a higher probability than we'd been told. And that took a week to come back. So that was the most hellish week of all, but it came back that it was a very, very low risk after all that. And at the same time, they said, do you, know what, do you want to know what you're having? Because we have the results of your you know whether you're having a boy or girl so we found out at that point that we were having a little girl um <laughs> and we we got through that and then you go for your appointments and every appointment I went to a consultant reminded me of my age and I got reminded quite a few times that I was at high risk of having a stillborn if I went um full term with her because of my age so yeah I was spent a lot of what well, it was a lot of time worrying about my age becoming an issue I was very, very aware of the fact that I was this older woman because I had lots more 
um, dating scams as well. So I had more scams. I had one at, you have the 20 week, then you had 28, 32, 36 weeks. But actually after my 36 week, they said everything was tracking and I could go full term, but just not a day over really. So, um, although they would let me go an actual day over because it was what Christmas day, but otherwise they normally would induce you on your actual due date if everything's going well. So yeah, okay. always lots to worry about. And, and I, and I also, you know, I was terrified of, um, still, stillborn as well, because that's just, you know, when someone says that to you, that's all you think about. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I can imagine. And it's, and it's probably one of the worst things you could probably ever go through as a, as a woman or with, with a partner as well. Going back to your career, so you've got your own celebrity agent business with some very mm. lovely clients. I know Kelsey Park is one of your clients and she was on the podcast last week. So <laughs> yeah. talk me through your career journey. Well, I, I went <laughs> when I left school, I was a travel agent. So I worked in the travel industry for about five years, maybe a bit longer. Um, and then I went to university. Well, I actually went back to college because I didn't get A-levels. So I went back to college and got the qualifications to get myself into university. And I went to uni at 21, went up to Manchester to Salford, did a degree in TV and radio production, but always wanted to work in TV. And I, yeah, I left university and walked into a job at the BBC because I'd done a lot of work experience during my studies. I spent most of my summers in London working on documentaries and being a runner on various bits and bobs and did work experience at CBBC and Crime Watch and everywhere else. And so by the time I left uni, I had loads of experience and I got a paid job as a researcher straight out of uni and worked my way up through in the TV industry, really. And I, I did it for about, oh, I must have done six years at the BBC. And then I went freelance and I worked kind of on lots of different things, really. So I did this morning and I went back and did the one show as a freelancer. I, I worked with Darren Brown. I uh, worked on TOWIE. <laughs> I did, gosh, what not to wear. I did lots of holiday programs. I did, I did a lot of stuff. <laughs> I did, I probably did twelve years worth of TV. And yeah, I, I did that for as long as I felt I could do it. And then I, I had a bit of a change of career when I was, God, I must have been thirty-five at the time, and I ended up moving into PR. My first PR job was working in the travel industry. So I think because my background was travel and I'd worked as a travel agent, traveled a lot in my career in TV, worked on travel programs in TV. So it was a natural progression to then go and do the press side of it. And then you set up on the box talent five years ago. So how did you go about setting that up and who was your first client? Well, so when I left Australian Tourism, I actually went and worked in finance PR, first of all. <laughs> because I wanted to buy a house and tactically I thought where can I earn the most amount of money in the quickest amount of time with my skill set and PR classically the, the sort of the most fun jobs in PR don't pay the most so I went for a slightly less exciting area for me anyway PR which is money and finance and I did that for a year bought my house and then I went and, and did a fun job again and I worked as um like sort of head of press for a modeling agency in London called Premier Models and I did that for about a year um, but the fashion industry was not for me <laughs> so I left and it took me about three months to get things together I knew I wanted to leave but I didn't want to leave without a job so I basically did a lot of research I made a list of things I needed to do to set up my business which included you know 
website, bank accounts, logo design, you know, processes, contact lists. And I basically just tick, 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 tick everything off that list that I needed to do to prepare myself to go freelance and set up a company. And the day that I ticked the last thing off my list, which was basically remortgage my flat in London, because then if it all went tits up, I knew I had my flat secure. Remortgage that. And the day I remortgaged that flat, I handed my notices. And I had one client, so I left a very well-paid job to have one client as a freelancer. And I just took a, I took a pun, and it was Lucy Watson, actually, who was um, in Made in Chelsea at the time. Yes. Yeah, that is so crazy. I mean, I would just crap my pants, if I'm honest. <laughs> oh, I did. I did, and I had a mortgage, and my income was less than my mortgage outgoing. But I absolutely if I need to do something I will not I, I just won't let it go unless it's until I've done it and I knew that I had to make this work because I had one shot at it and I basically to, to survive the first sort of six months of running that company I started freelancing in tv again so I do my PR job for Lucy but I'd also be um a sort of camera woman um in tv and I used to go and film do you remember that um program say yes to the dress I don't know if you've heard oh, of it oh my god it's like my favorite program ever I'm obsessed with it it's lush isn't it it's such a I don't even have a boyfriend but I'm like no that's a gross wedding dress oh my god that's amazing <laughs> is it the UK version with Got Gwan well it was before it was Got Gwan it was with um David Emmanuel yes 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 series. so I was just the camera woman at the wedding so every time the bride got married I would go and film the wedding so I'd film all the preamble of them getting ready, film them walking down the aisle, film the first kiss, film the wedding dance, film the cutting of the cake, and then they cut that together into like a montage of the sort of after bit with her in the dress. So I used to film that. So I'd get sent off two or three, you know, for two or three days, four days a month sometimes to go and shoot weddings all over the country. And that is basically how I earned my money to survive the first six months of business. Um, and how many clients do you have now then? I think it's about 17. So the mm-hmm. hard work has obviously completely paid off. Well, I've been, I mean, I've been so lucky, um, but I work really, really hard. And I think because it's my own company, it, I have a vested interest to work hard. Not that I'm saying any other agents don't work hard, but the, the difference, I guess, when you run your own company and anyone that does this would probably agree, is that you only earn money if you're working because you're not being paid a salary by a company. You you are the company. Yeah. And if I don't get the work in, I don't earn the money because I earn on a commission basis for my clients. I take a commission on any work that comes in for them. So if there's no work coming in, I'm not earning any money. So I've got to make sure I'm really proactive in getting that work for them. Of course. And I know when we chatted before this, you mentioned when you were in labour, you were WhatsApping your assistant, which is just the weirdest and most craziest thing ever. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to ask, do you ever switch off? And why, no. why are you still WhatsApping her? <laughs> well, because I think the thing is, we had a plan of action. My friend was helping me. She's an amazing celebrity. Uh, she's sort of like a celebrity agent herself. And is brilliant at the job so I knew I was in massively safe hands and we had a whole handover done but the thing is you there's always something that pops into my head or I think of something and I'm like if I don't say it now I'm very much one of those people that are like if a job comes in or I've got something to do I need to clear my inbox and just get it done I don't let things sit there for hours and days they've got to be it's got to just be done 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 because then I can move on to the next thing yeah. so if I think of something I'm like oh I better tell Katie that so 
I'm in labor. I mean, I'm not talking like mid contraction. I'm talking in between <laughs> contractions. I wouldn't be doing it whilst I was pushing a baby out. But whilst I was whilst I was in that room, I was like, oh shit, I must remind I must remind Katie of this thing, or a client might have texted me. And I and the other day I did find I wanted to speak to one of my friends who's in PR actually, and I went to message him, and then I saw a message from him that I hadn't responded to. And it was sent on the 21st of December. And it was basically when my daughter was being born. And I'm thinking, how did I miss that text? Because I never miss text. Oh, yeah, because you were actually literally giving birth at that actually time. Actually just pushing the whole entire baby out. No, yeah, no biggie. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, up until it got unbearable, I was still on my phone. Yeah, I can't. I do find it really hard to switch off. I don't really have a working day. It's sort of as and when. And it's the same when I go on holiday you you don't you just you've always because you're connected your phone all your messages are on your phone so you can't help but have a little look-see and I can't I, I'm addicted to work I love my job I really love it I love it and hate it in equal measure but I do mostly really love it but yeah yeah you don't switch off when it's your own thing because it's it is exciting when it's your own business and you never know what's coming in next and sometimes it's shit but most of the time I find it really thrilling and I feel really blessed to be able to run my own thing and not have somebody telling me what to do I'm not yeah it's probably yeah it's probably so rewarding as well um yeah yeah I I feel like the hard work has paid off I mean I I've had a really good run and you know up until before the pandemic I was you know it was absolutely brilliant and before I met Kim when I was you know 39 still I bought myself a Porsche for my 40th because I'd had a really good couple of years in the business yeah and you know for me that was a marker of of my achievement because I've worked bloody hard to get there yeah and I've done it on my own and I'd never employed anyone when I went on into when I went into labor or before I had the baby was the first time I'd ever had somebody run things for me ever in the whole time so when did you go back to work after having Etta when she was about six weeks old I think oh I started goodness. looking at my phone. I think I started looking at my phone after three days, to be honest. But the only difference was it was Christmas time, so everything is on the go. So I timed her perfectly because everybody <laughs> was on holiday. Um, but as soon as January hit, I started sneaking looks at my phone and you know just sort of passing a few bits on to Katie that I thought you know needed more urgent attention, but. And then I just started slipping back into old habits because you can't. And I thought, oh, well, she's asleep. It's fine. It's, you know, I don't need to sleep. It's fine. I can just do some work. So, yeah. Only now. You sound, it- you sound like a crazy woman. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know. Like, we, I, I feel really strongly about not letting my clients down. And it's, a, yeah. it's a probably actually an insecurity of mine rather than me being um a strong woman <laughs> mm. I think it's actually a lot of it is um you I don't know you feel like you should be able to do it all as a woman and I don't really give myself any space to not to not be able to do it I think I'd love to say oh, I take six months off and just leave it with with somebody else for six months but I just know I couldn't possibly do it even if I could afford to pay somebody for six months I don't think I'd do it because I like working and I also want to prove to myself I can do it and prove to my clients I can do it and I can be a good mum and still run a business. But actually, it's really difficult and I don't, I don't think I would advise it. I think if you 
can actually step away that would be the better thing to do but I'm, I not, do. I'm not very good at it going back to your um labor with Etta how how was it all with obviously you being told that you were high risk for so many things yeah, it was it was it was stressful. But I mean, I was induced, so the first part of labour I did on my own because they wouldn't let my boyfriend in for after five o'clock. But nine to five, you can have your partner until you're in active labour. So when I went into labour, it was like half ten at night. Um, I got induced at like three in the afternoon. Went into labour at half ten. I uh, started thinking oh, it doesn't feel very good, and then by sort of one o'clock, two o'clock, it's ramping up, and I'm going, oh god, I really wish my boyfriend was here. And they wouldn't let him come. So I had to wait till nine in the morning when he was allowed back. But by five, I was in so much pain. They sort of snuck him back in. And then they took me up to the actual labour ward where he's allowed to be for the rest of the, the delivery. And, you know, everything was okay, but I found the pain really quite unbearable and I had peppered in and that wasn't doing anything. And then they ran me a hot bath and I got in that and I lasted about 20 seconds. And I was like, get me out, get me out. No, no, this isn't working. <laughs> get me out and then can I have some more peppered in no you can't have it for 90 minutes and I was like no this isn't gonna work I, I need an epidural please and I got an epidural and it was a game changer <laughs> it was like once that kicked in it was totally fine and you know you I didn't feel pain I could feel sensations I could yeah, feel note, contractions coming note no to pain. self get an epidural if I ever have children <laughs> We had a birth plan, which I had laminated. I had like three copies laminated. <laughs> and I swear, I swear to God, like the midwives must just give a cursory glance at birth plans again. <laughs> they probably saw yeah. a laminated, laminated yeah. paper in case like blood <laughs> splattered on it or something or some waters. Oh, or... I had all pretty pictures on it. And I mean, I really had it set. This is what I was going to do. I mean, what a waste of my time. But I really enjoyed doing it. So actually it wasn't a waste. I really enjoyed doing my birth plan. <laughs> but yeah, seriously, it was, it was fine. The only the only hairy moment we had was uh, everything had gone well. We'd had a little sleep because the epidural had kicked in. We'd both slept for a bit. And then the midwife sort of doing her thing. And then the next minute she slammed the alarm on the wall and about nine people came into the room. That was terrifying. And they told me that they couldn't tell whether my baby's heart rate had dropped. And at that point, as a woman who'd been terrified of losing that baby for all mm. of my pregnancy anyway I really did panic um but I was quite heavily drugged on and I had a lot of gas in air as well so I I was sort of aware that things weren't right but I couldn't quite oh, I couldn't get any words out I couldn't speak I was just terrified and I looked at my boyfriend for some support and he's the most sort of chilled relaxed total opposite to me um person but his because he had a mask on all I could see was his eyes and his eyes just looked terrified too oh and I no thought, Shit, this isn't good this isn't good so I knew things weren't right and they had to get a probe on her head which took about 45 minutes and it was very dra dramatic and very upsetting but after they managed to sort that out it was like oh yeah she's fine but there was a moment where it didn't feel didn't feel good and I was very scared that I was going to lose her after all those fears of you know stillborn babies and things so it was yeah. pretty scary come the sort of end bit when you're actually giving birth the pushing bit that was the best bit of all I was in a really good space by then I knew she was okay we were monitored I didn't feel any pain I was just so excited to meet her and we had such an amazing midwife who was like right I'm gonna get this baby out she'll be here in half an hour this is what you need to do this is how you push I just listened to her but it was like 
a moment I'll never ever ever forget it was beautiful and she is five months old now well, she is so sweet I mean everybody loves their little ones don't they she's but probably she at that, a really good age right now as well where she's starting to be really aware and babbling yeah. and giggling and yeah she's giggling she's a really smiley baby she doesn't really cry she just she only sort of whinges if she's hungry or tired but I know the whinge and I'm like I know how to fix that <laughs> and so yeah she's a really easy baby I don't know what I did to deserve that this easy start of <laughs> sleep like she's honestly brilliant she's such a well-behaved little girl so I know she's going to be an asshole as a teenager that's going to be my payback <laughs> yeah it probably will be you don't yeah it's one or the other with everything that's like happened in the last year obviously your life has changed completely tell me something you've learned about yourself I think I think I thought I would be because I'm quite highly strung <laughs> let's put it that way uh, I thought I would be a really um anxious worried bundle of nerves mum and I've learned that I'm actually really resilient and I'm really capable of of managing this and I that was, I was quite scared that I wouldn't be doing a good job because I thought I'm too all over the place and I've got quite a chaotic lifestyle and how am I going to do it all and I've learned that actually I am uh, quite calm and patient which I never would have ever credited myself with those attributes before um, but you, you, I've learned to be with her. I think. Well, it's not even learning. It comes. It just comes to you. I think it's just in you. My last question for today's podcast is: What does motherhood mean to you? Oh, that's a good question. It's a big one. I wish, I, I wish I'd thought about these before because you sent me some questions. But you know what? I just I glanced at them and I thought if I read them too much, you'll I'll, overthink, I'll overthink it. my answers. Yeah, and I don't want to do that. I want to just see what comes out at the time. What does motherhood mean to me? I think um, motherhood to me is really being, I want to be the kind of mum that um, my child feels completely secure with, um, nurtured, loved, cared for, and has no fear to be themselves and be able to come to me with anything. I really want to be that kind of role model where they're not afraid to speak their mind not afraid to be you know honest with me about who they are and I mean that's going to be a long way off she's not not teenager (laughs) yet but you know I really want to be that kind of mum that you think oh it's okay mum will sort it out or mum will be there I really want that for her I really want and I really want her just to feel very secure growing up because it's maybe not something that I ever felt do you know what I mean I think yeah if you've had an experience yourself where you've not felt massively secure throughout all of your own childhood I think you go one or two ways you either do the same you repeat patterns of behavior or you go completely the way yeah or you go the other way and I really like to think I will go the other way which is to probably I'll probably wrap her up in cotton wool and (laughs) (laughs) never let her out the house I know yeah exactly no man um but you know I just I just want her to feel I think security is a is a really a big thing. I just want her to feel very loved and secure. I think every every 
mum wants their children to be happy so I think that's a perfect answer um Emma thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story um I found that so interesting you've literally got a kick-ass career um and I just think you're fab so thank you so much we'll pop some links below to your agency and your insta and everything like that so people can go check you you out and your little story but thank you so much oh it's a pleasure and thank you so much for inviting me on it's brilliant very honoured to have chatted to you today so thank you good let's catch up soon bye bye take care bye bye and don't forget if you enjoyed this podcast please leave us a review